This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Let me ask you, when crops fail, famine strikes, drought occurs, what are your thoughts about God's involvement in such things? Now, if you live back in biblical times, you might think that the gods were angry at you and that to appease their wrath, you needed to offer a blood sacrifice. People typically don't do that today. But many of us do think that when bad things happen, it's because God has neglected us. Or maybe worse yet, is out to punish us or something like that. But uh, so how do we respond? Well, we pray, we tithe, we make commitments to do better at following God, obeying Him. You know, we cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy or whatever it might be. Uh, Strangely, that response is really not that much different from the way the ancient pagan religions offered sacrifices to their gods and their deities. They thought the gods were angry at them and they needed to do something to please or appease that god. They made blood sacrifices. We just make different kinds of sacrifices today. What we're going to see today, though, when we look at Genesis 1, verses 11 through 13, is that God doesn't want blood sacrifices. He doesn't want tears. All he really wants is for us to know how much he loves us. So stick around and see how Moses teaches this by writing about plants and trees and seeds and fruit. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be fun. Hey, listen, before we get there, let me tell you about our sponsor. We actually have a new sponsor this month. Our sponsor is Theology.fm. Yeah, it's one of these new extensions, uh, FM. So instead of the .com or .org or something on the end of a website, it's .fm. And what it is, Theology.fm, it's an online Christian podcast featuring some of the best Bible teachers and pastors around the country uh, and even around the world. Uh, They include, right now, teachers like Greg Boyd, Brian Zond, Wayne Jacobson, Darren Hufford, just to mention a few. It's uh, right at the beginning stages of development, so there will be more coming. And in fact, if you have a favorite Bible teacher or pastor, or maybe podcaster, there's a place on the About page where you can go recommend someone to include in the Theology.fm lineup. And when you head over there, you'll be, there's a little surprise for you about who is the host of Theology.fm podcast. To go there, all you need to do is type Theology.fm into Google or your web browser, and it'll take you right there. With that in mind, let's just dive right into our verses for today. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. Oh, I want to say this too, though, before we go. Do you want to hear your voice on the One Verse podcast? Listen, if you have a pressing question or maybe a comment or an insight that you want to add to the podcast, uh, just go to the show notes, to the study notes on any one of the episodes. And down at the bottom, I have now included the speak pipe Thing where you just press that green button and a little screen will pop up which allows you to record your voice asking a question for me. And after I get a few of those, I will include them right in the show itself and respond to your question. We'll probably have like a Q&A podcast where I just uh, respond to the questions. And, and if that's too technical for you, look, just leave a comment or question in the comment area on the podcast as well. And I'll respond to those uh, at that time. 
All right, so in the last study, we began to consider Genesis verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, and basically I introduced to you this whole thing about, uh, you probably remember this horrific picture I painted of uh, oceans of bunnies and mountains of spiders and all of that, and how death was uh, somehow, we're not quite exactly sure how, part of God's initial good creation. It just doesn't make any sense otherwise. Anyway, if you, if, if you missed it, you need to go back and listen to that. That's the previous episode of the One Verse podcast. But uh, and I sort of left you hanging there at the end. I basically uh, built this 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 uh, impossible way of reading Genesis one verses eleven to thirteen, and I said, "Look, the way to really understand what Moses is saying, we are going to have to wait to the next episode." Well, that's this ep- episode, and basically what I was saying is that when Moses wrote this text, he wasn't thinking of science, and so if we are thinking science, uh, trying to find a scientific reading of Genesis one eleven to thirteen, when we come to this text, well, then we will not be reading the text the way Moses meant it. Uh, if we're going to read and understand the text the right way, the way God, what God wants us to understand from this text and what Moses had in mind, well then, the scientific reading of Genesis 1 is not one of the options. It's not a literal reading of Genesis 1. It's not the best reading, not even a correct reading. Instead, what we need to do when we read Genesis 1 is read with an eye for the theological points that Moses is making in the text. And when we do that, we not only end up reading the Bible, reading Genesis 1 literally, but we also end up understanding the message that Moses intended to convey to his audience and and to us thousands of years later. That's what we're going to consider today. That's the theological message Moses wanted the Hebrew people to hear when he wrote to them about how God made the plants and the trees from the ground with the seeds in themselves and so they could reproduce after their own kind. Here's the text. Let me read it for you again just to familiarize yourself. It says this, Genesis 1, 11-13. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields Fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Okay, so what is Moses saying with all this discussion about seeds and fruit and after their kind and and all this other stuff. Well, Moses is very specific in the text that God created the plants and the trees. And when he did so, he put seeds within them so that they could reproduce after their own kind. Uh, And it's very repetitive. You go through it and it's, it's, it's sort of typical of Hebrew terminology, Hebrew poetry, Hebrew language, where they repeat itself over and over and over to emphasize a point. And what we see in Genesis 1, 11, and 12 is this cycle of, of plants sprouting, growing, dying, going to seed, and, and then growing again from the seeds that God uh, were created by God. And it's this whole cycle of life and birth and death and rebirth. And basically, God built that cycle into the plants themselves. I think we talked a little bit about that in the previous uh, episode. But by writing that God uh, built into, created the plants and trees with the ability to reproduce themselves. 
what Moses is actually doing. Yeah, it's sort of rough scientific explanation, but that, again, is not Moses' point. What Moses is really doing is contradicting what the religious traditions of Egypt, Canaan, and Babylon taught about how plants and trees and vegetation grew and reproduced, and and, and, uh, what the Hebrew people would have been aware of from the surrounding cultures of their time. Moses is saying that this annual growth cycle of sprouting, growing, dying, reproducing, it's not due to what the surrounding religions and the surrounding cultures said, but is entirely due to God alone, to Yahweh. God alone is worthy of the praise and glory and worship for this entire process of how people eat, of the food that is produced from the plants and trees. Plants grow, Moses is saying, not because some Egyptian deity or Canaanite god is overseeing the cycle, but because God put the seeds into the plants so that they could reproduce after their own kind. So we can really, really see this when we compare the account here in Genesis 1 and how God created the plants and seeds to reproduce after their own kind. Moses says it over and over and over, to reproduce after their own kind, who's from their seeds, it's in themselves, from the earth. Okay, all this discussion that Moses includes over here is very repetitive, but it becomes important when we start comparing what Moses wrote with some of the religious traditions of the surrounding religions. Now, in my study and research, pretty much like always, I didn't... I prepared way more than I could possibly include in a 30-minute episode of of this podcast. So I'm going to include more eventually in the transcript when I put it online uh, uh, about the Canaanite and, um, I'm sorry, about the Babylonian and the Egyptian parallels uh, from their religions and what they taught. The one I want to focus on today uh, here in the audio version of this podcast is the Canaanite parallel. Remember, The Hebrew people um, are, at this point, when they're hearing this, probably about ready to enter into Canaan. Maybe this is one of the stories that Moses told the people as they sat around at the bottom of Mount Sinai receiving the law of God. Or maybe this is one of the stories that Moses told them as they journeyed toward Canaan. Or maybe even this is one of the stories that Moses told them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We don't really know, but as they were doing this, they were looking towards Canaan and the people there, and they were very familiar. Very, It was very likely that they're very familiar with some of the stories that came out of Canaan. Uh, and one of these stories would be the one that Moses is writing against here to the Hebrew people to show that Yahweh is better than the gods and goddesses of Canaan, that he is more powerful, and that they, those gods and goddesses of Canaan, are powerless before Yahweh. That would be very encouraging and comforting for these Hebrew people as they're looking to enter into Canaan and and, uh, live and dwell there in the Promised Land. So when we looked at Genesis 1.10, we talked briefly about how uh, Moses, you might recall, Moses did not refer to the seas as Yom. You remember that? Uh, And the reason I suggested is that because Yom is the name of a Canaanite deity. He was the sea prince, the god of the sea, Well, obviously, there were other Canaanite deities which the Hebrew people would have been aware of. Some of them you, I'm sure, have heard of. For example, Baal. If you've read almost anything out of the Old Testament, especially in Joshua, you probably have read about Baal. Uh, Very familiar. Christians have heard about him. But along with Baal and Yom, there was another, uh, the fertility god was Anat, A-N-A-T, uh, he, uh, she was Baal's sister and Baal's wife. 
Imagine that. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, or not so interesting. Anyway, uh, another uh, Canaanite deity was named Mot. He was the god of death. Anyway, all four of these gods, Yom, Baal, Anat, and Mot, were, are you ready, the gods that were key characters in Canaanite epic, uh, which is, it's a Canaanite story, which today is referred to as the Baal cycle. I'm going to include a link to this. You can go look it up on Wikipedia and read the Baal cycle, the story of what happened. And it was very closely related with, guess what? The seasons. Anyway, in the Baal cycle, here's what happens. Uh, uh, Baal is a fertility god, and he is responsible for the growth of plants and crops. But what happens in the Baal cycle is that in the fall, Baal is captured by Mot, the god of death. That's why every fall, what happens to Baal's crops? Well, he can't, he's not around anymore. He's been captured by death. And so that's why all of Baal's crops, they wither away and they die. Anyway, Mot takes Baal and carries him down into death into the abyss, which is guarded by Yom, the sea prince. That's where, that's where Mot takes Baal. However, Anat, remember, she loves Baal. She is Baal's wife and sister. So uh, Anat goes out to rescue Baal, and uh, she's, she's the goddess of love and war. So he, she goes down into the abyss to rescue Baal, and, and there's a great and bloody battle down there in the abyss. Uh, with a knot, she wages war against Yom and Mot. Anyway, she eventually is successful, and so in the spring, uh, after, after months of waging war, in the spring, she is, she is successful, she is victorious, and she raises Baal back to life by putting Mot to death. And then, uh, now that it's Baal and Anat against Yom, they force Yom to relinquish the powers of fog and rain and dew. And then they take the body of Mot and they grind it up into little pieces, which they then scatter and spread throughout the land as seed. And then, with this newly gained powers of over the waters that they gained from Yom because of the war with the fog and the rain and the dew, they send the spring rains and the dew upon the earth, which, of course, then allow the plants to grow. And uh, now the fertility god Baal is back in power, and he brings forth grass and plants and fruit-bearing trees. Mot, though, remember, his body was ground up into pieces. He's got a little secret power of his own because now that he is growing, he wasn't fully dead when they ground him up and scattered him around. Now that he is growing by the plants and the trees that were were sown in the ground, he is gaining more power and he gains more strength until eventually, come the fall, he gains enough strength to rise again, in a sense, and wage war once again against Baal, and and, uh, the cycle continues. And this is how the Canaanite people understood the four seasons and what was going on. Uh, And by the way, uh, they would often do things in their own life to match the activities that they imagined the gods were doing. So, uh, in fact, when we read, for example, in 2 Samuel 11 about how in the springtime is when uh, kings go off to war, well, that's because it's at that time when a knot 
went off to war against Yom and Mot to rescue Baal. And that is when, in the spring, when she is victorious. And so people were saying, well, if we want to be victorious against our enemies in war, then we need to go to war when we have the most chance of success. And that is in the springtime when Anat is about ready to defeat Mot and um, Mot and Yom. Okay, so obviously none of this is mentioned in Genesis 1. <laughs> Uh, uh, God, he's not captured by anybody. He's not put to death by anything. In fact, there's no mention anywhere in this text of an enemy of God. In fact, there's no other gods at all. There's not a body of a God that is ground to pieces and scattered around in order to bring forth plants. No, what do we read in the text? We read something very simple. That God put the ability of plants and trees to reproduce on their own. He put the seeds in them so that they reproduce after their own kind. That's what we read. There's no violence. There's no war. There's no sea god. There's no death god. There's no fertility god. There is only God. And what he created in the plants and the trees. So, what does all this mean? How does this help us understand Genesis 1, 11 through 13? Well, look, the, the ancient world, they, they knew to some degree that plants came from seeds, but you go back and read some of their writings, and they're talking, they're, they're very mystified about how a tree could come from a little seed, or how even a plant, how, they broke open a seed and there's nothing in there. It just looks like mud or dirt or something that they can eat or something, but they don't, they don't know what is in there. So they, 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 they decided that it was one of the miracles of creation, and it was overseen by one of the gods. Uh, they were also mystified by how a baby bird could breathe inside an egg. And they said, well, the gods must uh, put air in there for the bird to, for the egg, baby bird to breathe inside the egg. They were, they were amazed at how human skin and bones could come from the liquid of male semen. They were amazed at how water fell from the sky. And that's why they put this firmament up there in the windows from which the water fell from. And, 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 and so one of the miracles that they attributed to the gods was this idea of how the plants could come from, from seeds and from the ground. The Hebrew people, they didn't know much more. Uh, or, or really any less than anybody else. And so they also were amazed. But rather than attribute this entire process of plea, of seeds dying and planting and growing and all this thing to a bunch of different deities and some sort of cosmic warfare and bodies being ground up into pieces and scattered all over, no, the Hebrews have said it's all God and there's no war, there's no violence at all. When the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Canaanites uh, they had a God to govern the rains, they had a God to govern uh, the sun, they had a God to govern how things grow, they had a God who governed the rivers and the seas, they had a God who governed the rains. Look, the Hebrew people, they had one God, Yahweh, and he was in charge of it all. And that was helpful for, helpful for them because if they had questions or needs or concerns or prayer requests, they didn't have to figure out, well, should I pray to Baal or should I pray to Yom or who's in power right now? I mean, Baal is dead, so I can't pray to him. So should I really pray to Mot? But I don't want to pray to Mot because none of that stuff the Israelites had to deal with. They could go to one God and pray to him about anything, bring their request to him no matter what. That's not the way it was for the surrounding religions. And so that's what one of the things Moses is trying to do here. He's not only showing that Yahweh alone is in charge of everything, but also that God is different from these other deities. 
By writing how God placed seeds within the plants and trees, Moses is showing that God put the ability within the plants themselves to reproduce by themselves. So day three of of creation is teaching us that God made the seed-bearing plants and the fruit-bearing trees so that they were self-sustaining, so that they would provide perpetual food for the good of all humanity. Uh, It's teaching that when God creates something, he, he creates within it the ability to exist and reproduce. Crops and trees grow because God put the seeds within them so that they would reproduce that way. Furthermore, uh, one other thing that we see here is that um, there at the end, in in verse 13, we read that God saw that he had made and it was good. Again, we don't see any violence, war, bloodshed here, no cosmic battle. God made the the plants and trees to sustain itself and, and reproduce on their own. Moses is showing that you know, there's not a God up there who's sending famine on you, not, not a God who's killing off plants. Uh, there's, not a, there's not a God that w- when, when your crops fail, when famine comes, when disease comes, when blight comes, when the rains don't come, that you have to go pray to. There, crop failure is not a result of God being angry at his people or, or, or forgetting to take care of his people. Moses is basically saying that Sacrifice and rituals are not needed to appease God or remind God, hey, God, we're down here. Don't forget about us. Take care of our crops. Send the rains. God, no. God put these cycles into creation. Um, You don't need blood sacrifices to make your crops grow. That's the point of Moses. That's the point that Moses is saying here. Things grow because God originally created them to grow. God's not a capricious, uh, impulsive, fickle, forgetful, easily angered God like those of Canaan or Babylon or Egypt. When crops fail to grow, uh, we don't need to ask, oh, how did I offend God? Boy, I wonder if God's angry. That is the question that pagan religious people ask. Now, crops do fail. Obviously, they do. We all know they do, but... Genesis 1, 11-13 teaches us that when crops fail, it's not because God forgot about us or is angry with us or simply decided to play games or something like that. No, that is the way people from pagan religions taught. Here's the point, and to bring it into modern day. Look, I've been talking about crop failure, and if you're a farmer, that means something to you, but most of us are not. But bad things happen to us all the time in life whether it's sickness or someone dying or, or getting fired from a job or, or losing a spouse or a child or, or, or boys, I'm recording this, what happened right here in, in, in Oregon, the people dying down there. It's, it's so sad and it's, it's horrible. But we must not ever begin to think when these things happen that it happened because God's angry at us or God is offended by something we said or did or, or if you just pray enough you know, sacrifice enough or give up something, then maybe, just maybe, God will forgive you, love you again, start to bless you again. That is not the way the God of the Bible acts. God always loves, always forgives. He's always seeking your good. He doesn't need blood sacrifice to make your crops grow or to make your marriage better. He doesn't need more commitment, longer prayers, larger offerings to bless you and your family or give you a better job or help you get that house or anything like that. 
when bad things happen, remember this, remember this, when bad things happen, God is not out to get you. Bad things happen in life. Crops do fail, disease and famine and death occur. The question is, why? Why do they happen? You know, that's a question everybody's asking today. Why do such bad things happen? It's a question that Moses and the people in his day were asking. Moses, why did we go into slavery? Right? Moses has an answer to that question, and we'll get to it also. It's not here in Genesis 1. We're still at the very beginning of this story that Moses is telling. We'll get to the first part of Moses' question when we get to Genesis chapter 3. And they're they're very good questions, and there are answers. But uh, we need to hold on to that question for a little bit longer while we work our way through the rest of chapter 1 and then on into Genesis chapter 2. For now, though, again, I want to reiterate this. I want you to remember this one and only thing. God is always and only seeking your good. He loves you more than you can possibly know. Everything God does is designed to show you His love. We're going to see that truth a lot more as we work our way through the Bible, and especially as we look at the next three days of creation in future studies on Genesis 1. For now, though, do you have any questions or comments about anything I said today? In these opening verses of uh, maybe in a previous study, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, as I said at the beginning of today's episode, in a future show, we will be answering all of your questions, responding to some of your comments. I don't want this to be just me talking all the time. Uh, I want the One Verse podcast to be a dialogue. So, so please, go leave your questions, comments in um, the comment section of the blog post. Today's is found at uh, redeeminggod.com, Genesis one. 11 to 13, and you can leave a comment there, but also make sure you make use of that, uh, record your your comment, and I will play those on, on future episode at some point, and then do my best to respond to your question, or if it's simply an insight or something that uh, you've learned from Genesis 1, I'll play that as well, and other people can benefit from your insight that way. I really look forward to hearing what you have to say, and I hope you take advantage of that. Thank you for listening. And uh, join us next time. We are going to get past the first half of this creation week and begin to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, and the fourth day of this creation account. See you then.